This is the podcast of Christian Life Center, an Assemblies of God Church in Springfield, Massachusetts. For more information, visit our website at clc413.com. If you would please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. And uh, we're going to look at chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come into your presence this morning and we are asking for understanding hearts. But we could read and we could hear a message from your word. It could, in a sense, go in one ear and out the other. But that's not our heart's desire this morning. We want to hear your word and we want it to settle down deep into our spirit so that it will germinate and it will bring forth fruit for your kingdom. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give me clarity of being able to share your word and I pray that all of us, including myself, will be able to grasp what you desire for us to learn today. We thank you for your presence that is here and we thank you, Jesus, that you are the living word. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11, we're going to find the setting of a prophetic word that would be given to the prophet Isaiah for the arrival of the Messiah. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, he left his glory in heaven and came to a place much different than where he was. In fact, when he came to this earth, there was great chaos that was going on all around. God's precious people were being ruled by the Romans, and there were many promises that were not yet fulfilled. But God desired to show up in the place of brokenness, to be able to bring healing and restoration. That same process is the process God uses today in that wherever there is brokenness, that's where God shows up. Jesus said these words. He said, those who are well or healthy do not need a doctor, but those who are sick are the ones who need a doctor. He was speaking to religious people who thought they were good enough and they did not need the doctor of all doctors. And when Jesus spoke to them, he said, if you do not realize that you need my help, then I cannot help you. Jesus went to where there was brokenness and darkness. And he brought healing and he brought light in the middle of death. He brought life wherever Jesus showed up. He changed situations, but he didn't simply go to places where everything was already well. Traveled to various countries and visited both the very poor areas, for example, of Mexico. But you also have places where People come and they vacation and it's a beautiful place on the beach and 
you can go and enjoy a week, two weeks, or 10 days and enjoy yourself. But there is a great contrast between the areas where the tourists are and the areas where the people live. So many times, just not very far away from those tourist attraction areas, there are places that are very poor, people that are very broken. And you find that because many times when the tourists come and, and they are enjoying themselves, those who are poor and those who are broken are kind of like coming alongside to grab the crumbs. And they're sustaining their living based upon the income that comes from those who are enjoying a vacation. We live in a world of such contrast. But oftentimes, if a person is of a lot of, if they have plenty and, uh, and they're looking to settle down in a place, it's often the case that a person who has many means, they don't choose to settle in a poverty-stricken area. It's just not the norm. They're going to look for a neighborhood that kind of meets their economic status. Uh, they're not necessarily going to go to a poor area. And, and yet when Jesus came to this earth, he did not look for a neighborhood that would fit his status. For to be quite honest with you, if he were to try to look for a neighborhood that would meet his status, Beverly Hills couldn't compete with what Jesus had in heaven. And yet he left it all to come to this earth to live amongst those who were broken and those who were poor because he loved them. Jesus came to those who needed a healer, those who needed help. The setting here in, in Isaiah chapter 8 begins in verse 11 to say, The Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everybody else does. Don't call everything a conspiracy like they do, and don't live in dread of what frightens them. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one that you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble. He will keep you safe. I want to pause here for a moment because even in a time of celebration, sometimes there can be such a contrast. We see around us in this world much devastation. A terror is happening on our left and on our right. And even in our own country, we are facing the results of the work of the enemy to try to instill fear in the hearts of people. But I'm here to tell you a word from the Lord this morning that God says to you specifically today that you are not to live in dread or in fear. In fact, there are all kinds of possible scenarios that could happen. But we need to learn to trust in the Lord, our God. If we're always looking at the worst-case scenario, uh, then we're always going to live in dread of what might happen to us. But if we put our hope in the Lord, we will recognize that our God is a strong tower and the righteous run into him and they are safe. That is the word from the Lord. If you look around you and you see what's going on, you can find yourself in a situation where there may be nothing happening in your own situation to cause you to be afraid. 
but you're looking at the household of somebody else. You're looking at someone else's nation. You're looking at something that's going on, and you're saying, wow, that could happen to me. And that worry ends up at times stifling the work that God desires to do in our hearts. That's why God says do not live in dread. He is the one that we should fear. Verse 14, he will keep you safe. But to Israel and Judah, these are God's people. He will be a stone that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many will stumble and fall, never to rise again. They will be snared and captured. Now think about this for a moment. What do you think that's referring to? He will be a stone that makes people stumble. A rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many will stumble and fall, never to rise again. They will be snared and captured. This is talking about the Messiah. This is talking about the one who is to come to bring deliverance. The one everybody was longing for. They wanted to be free. They wanted to not have the Romans rule over them anymore. And yet, here, from the words of the Lord to the prophet Isaiah, he's saying, you don't recognize what's coming your way. In fact, you're looking for one thing, but what is but what's really in need is for you to recognize where you're walking. And they were not paying attention to where they were going. And so this, what would show up on the scene, kind of out of the blue, the Messiah they were looking for was not the Messiah that ended up coming. Because their eyes were focused on one thing, where out in obscurity, God was working. And so it would end up being something that they would not notice and they would end up falling over it. Some of them would never recover. In fact, it says many. Because their eyes were on a Messiah who would provide something that would simply deal with the natural. But that was not God's intention. Jesus came to this earth to bring salvation. Verse 16 says, preserve the teaching of God and trust his instructions to those who follow me. I will wait for the Lord who has turned away from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my hope in him. Then Isaiah says, I and the children the Lord has given me serve as signs and warnings to Israel from the Lord of heaven's armies who dwells in the temple on Mount Zion. Now, interestingly, in the first part of chapter 8, and you can read that for yourself, but it actually tells the names of his kids and the meanings of their names and how this applies to what God had in store for the country of Israel, the nation of Israel. Someone may say to you, let's ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. With their whisperings and mutterings, they will tell us what to do. But shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Should the living seek guidance from the dead? In this world that is in many ways in chaos, 
people are looking for order. They want help. They want some sense of security, and they want something that is going to be reliable. But the truth is, my friends, without the intervention of the Almighty God, this world is going to continue in chaos. The day will come when Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, is going to return. And he's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us that we are going to rule and reign with him. And he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. But until that day comes, the Bible tells us that there is a work of the enemy of deception that is in this world. And people are given the choice to walk in the light or walk in the darkness. And when they choose to reject the light, there is only one other option. Verse 20 says, People who contradict God's word are completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another, weary, hungry. And because they're hungry, they'll rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at the earth. But wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into the darkness. Now, in Christmas time, it's nice to focus on all of the uh, really nice stuff. But the reality of Christmas is that whenever God is working, the enemy is working as well. There's a part of the Christmas story that is a very dark part. For the enemy always desired to stop what God wanted to do. So when Jesus showed up on the scene, what happened? Many, many children were killed to try to eliminate Jesus. There were many homes on the first Christmas that were broken. Mothers and fathers who were mourning the death of their baby. Why? Because Jesus showed up. We need to recognize that when God is at work, the enemy is also at work. And if we're blind to that fact, we'll just simply get frustrated and give up. But we need to recognize that we are in a battle. And in this battle, we can only win when we fight with the proper weaponry. And just as it was on that first Christmas, so it is today. That it is a wonderful part of Jesus coming to this earth. But there's also much pain and grief. For the enemy ramps up what he is doing when God's spirit is poured out. Because the scripture says the enemy knows that his time is short. Friends, we go about our busy lives and we have a lot to do. But I want to encourage you. Don't forget, your time is short. You don't have much time. Jesus said work while it is still day because the night is coming when no one can work. Prioritize your time to do what pleases God first. And as you do, God will honor you. And he'll help you take care of all the other peripheral stuff.
And then comes chapter 9. Nevertheless, see all these things that God spoke in his word are spoken in context. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a, a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice because they will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. And like warriors dividing the plunder, for you will break the yoke of slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warriors and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born. A son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. Oh, praise the Lord. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. In the midst of darkness and despair, there was a time set that that would end. There was a time of brokenness, a time of darkness. But God said this will not go on forever. And in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a virgin, to come into the darkness and to shine the light of the truth. And the scripture tells us in the book of John that those who were interested in the light came to the light, and their lives were changed. Their hearts were transformed. Their spirits were born again. Verse 4 says, You will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. And yet what happened when Jesus came and showed up on the scene? When Jesus came on that night, and as he lived his life, until the day that he died, and then he rose again three days later. Even during his entire life, you see chaos that was going on around him. The baby in Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist, who leaped for joy when Mary showed up, would lose his head for preaching the very gospel. That Jesus came to live out. We live in a world where we have opened the door for the enemy to work. From the very first decision of Adam and Eve, 
it's not God's fault, the chaos in this world. And yet for so many, it's the default question. Why doesn't God do this? And why didn't God show up there? God is perfect in all his ways. It's we who have messed it all up. Who are we to come back to God and blame him? Sure, we have unanswered questions. You will have those till the day you die and you see Jesus. Then you can ask him all those questions. But I challenge you to recognize that everything being equal, you and I do not deserve life. For we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if Jesus never showed up on that Christmas day, my friends, we would have absolutely no hope. And yet there are many in this world who think they would do just fine. God sent his one and only son into this world because he loved the world. Did not send him into the world to judge the world, but to save the world through him. The day of judgment will come, but not yet. At this time, God is pouring out his grace, pouring out his favor. His long suffering is upon this entire world. It is upon our nation. If God were not long suffering, our nation would have been dealt with very firmly and strongly many years ago. For in so many ways, we have turned our back on the living God. But he is patient. And he longs for men and women to be saved. Jesus chose to step into the darkness and to bring the light. He chose to come into areas of brokenness and to bring hope. As he says in verse 1, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. When Jesus was in Jerusalem, he looked over every, everybody in the city, and the Bible says he wept. He said, how I longed to be able to bring you under myself like a hen would bring her chicks under her wing. But you would not. And he said, you did not know the hour of your visitation. And so a great day of judgment will come. But that didn't make him happy at all. He was weeping as he said those words. There will be a day of reckoning for our nation. There will be a, a day of reckoning for this world. And every single one of us will give an account to God for everything that we have said and done. I'm so grateful for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us of our sin. But my friend, God has called us never to take that blood for granted. We cannot walk in deliberate sin and expect that the blood of Jesus is going to cover it. God is not a fool, and he will not be mocked. And every single one of us who are here this morning who have given our hearts to Christ, the only reason we're alive is because of the grace of God. And I want to encourage all of us during this Christmas season to approach all of our celebrations 
with a tempered sense of great appreciation for what the Lord has done for us. God has been good to us. And it was his kindness that drew us to repentance. If it were not for the kindness of the Lord, I know for me personally, I would not be here today. And I'm grateful for what the Lord has done. So easy for us to compartmentalize ourselves with people who we might consider are of our status. In the country of India, there is a, a very clear caste system. And there are rules that are laid out as to who can marry who and who can associate with who and all of these details. But I fear that even though we may not have a caste system laid out in detailed written code, yet in our human nature, without the help of the Lord, we can so easily operate that way. It's an unwritten caste system. And we can form a clique of our own group. And we can isolate ourselves from those who are broken. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. If he came down to this earth and was willing to leave all of the glories of heaven to be able to live among us, his expectation of you and I is that we are willing to give up our own comfort zone to reach those around us. During this Christmas season, people are more apt to listen to the message of the good news. With all of its commercialism and all the things that may be distracting about the secular Christmas celebrations, I'm grateful for this that in every single way that the name of Jesus can be proclaimed, whether it be just for the sake of a Christmas carol in the mall, that the name of Jesus is exalted. Seize those opportunities, friends. And may the Lord use you to bring help and hope to the broken because that's God's heart. Everything will not be fixed immediately, just as everything was not fixed immediately when Jesus showed up on the scene, because it's a work in progress. And I want you to know that when God invades your life, and when he begins to transform you, it is also a process. Don't be impatient with yourself or with the Lord, but be willing to listen and obey, and as you do, God's going to bring you from glory to glory. He's going to remove one vice after another, one bad habit after another, and he is going to transform you so that you can be an effective representative for his kingdom. Let the Spirit of God, who lived in Jesus, who lives in you, impact broken world around you. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. And the government will rest upon his shoulders. Think about that for a moment. In all the chaos of governments all around this world, 
that have failed the people that they are governing. In the middle of all of that, there is coming one who will carry all of the responsibilities of governing on his shoulders, and he will handle it perfectly. We look forward to the day of the arrival of our Messiah when he will indeed rule and reign on this earth. But until then, you and I have the wonderful opportunity to allow him to rule and to reign in our hearts, in our homes, and in our church. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. In the brokenness, in the chaos of nations who even over the past few years have completely overthrown their government because they're frustrated with what's going on. In the middle of such chaos, God desires to rule and to reign. It begins with you and it begins with me opening our heart to the Lord. And as we do, the spirit of the living God will bring order in the midst of chaos and light in the midst of darkness. All of us in this room affect the lives of many people. You and I have a great opportunity to allow the light of the gospel to shine and to impact those around us who are broken. The world is looking for answers in all the wrong places. Uh, there are many who want to know what's happening around us, and so they are looking to false sources of truth. Verse 19 of chapter 8, the prophet Isaiah said, Someone may say to you, let's ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. With their whisperings and mutterings, they will tell us what to do. There are shows even on television that very specifically highlight communication with the dead, things that are strictly forbidden by God. I want to just give you a challenge and a warning. Be very careful what you allow yourself to be fed because there are literally ways that you can open portals from hell into your home. Be very cautious. It may seem nonchalant, like no big deal, just see what it's all about. But I tell you, when you dive into these things, and I can tell you from experience as a pastor, there are people, fam entire families that have been affected in their home with supernatural demonic manifestations in their home. And I'll often ask the question, are you aware of any way that you have opened the door to the demonic in your home? Oh, well, just a little while ago, I was just seeing how a Ouija board would work. Or attended this seance, and boom, there's the answer. Open door, the enemy comes right in. Friend, anytime you leave your door unlocked spiritually and allow the enemy to come in, there are going to be consequences. 
you are going to have to fight hard to get him out. So don't play games with that kind of stuff. And that's why the word of God says, shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Should the living seek guidance from the dead? All right, we've been talking about many deceptive spirits on Wednesday night, about people who claim to follow Christ, but in one way or another are not walking with him at all. And they've been deceived. And I want to encourage you to keep your heart focused on the Lord. The main reason for deception, it doesn't matter what cult, leader, or group. I've seen people in one cult end up leaving one and going to another. There was no change except for what they believe. They're both false, but there was no change of heart. The only way we can deliver, be delivered from deception is by the truth of the spirit of the living God. And the Bible says that the reason that people end up believing a lie is because they do not love the truth. But as we love the Lord and as we love the truth, the word of God gives us the guidelines that we need. And if we're willing to listen to him, God's peace can rule and reign in your home. Even when there's chaos all around you, it does not need to invade your house. You must hold firm your boundaries. I want to speak also for a moment to the parents in this room. God has given you a great responsibility. I'm a parent. God has given me a great responsibility. Now, God has given us our precious children, and children have choices to make. But I have seen a trend, unfortunately, in our day where parents allow their kids to do things that they want to do to not upset them. And the child puts up a fit and a tantrum and the parent gives in. I literally had in a previous church that I was in a parent who had kids that were doing ungodly things. They were living in the, in the basement area. It was a, a, a child of, of, a, of a, a teenage years. And the parent was unwilling to put their foot down because they said, I don't want my child to run away or I don't want my child to stop being involved in my life. And so the things that the child was doing were illegal. If they were caught by the police, they would be dealt with. And the parent's response was this. I'd rather him be doing it in my house than anywhere else. Really? You've opened the door to the enemy in your own home and you've given your stamp of approval to it. And so your child may not run away because he's happy in your own home doing things that dishonor God. How can we allow that? You read all through the Old Testament. When God brought a prophet into the scene, when God brought a leader into the scene, they had to tear down the altars of Baal because what had happened is there was compromise. Well, I don't want to make anybody upset. So a king would literally take the altar of God and right next to it have an altar of Baal and say, if you want to worship God, you can come and you can offer your offering. And if you really don't want to, well, we've got another option for you. God says he will not share his glory with anyone. 
And I'm going to tell you, friends, if you compromise in your home, you're going to experience the consequences. You please your kids and dishonor God, you're going to end up with kids that won't listen to you anyways. Might as well put your foot down now and honor the Lord. It's very important that we set the standard, not only in how we live, but in the sphere of authority that God gives us. Now, your business is not everybody else's kids, but it's yours. And I believe this very firmly in my heart because every single family that constitutes membership in this church, what you allow in your home affects this church. And if your children live under your roof, then you need to set the tone with them honoring God. I have a question for you. If your child stopped eating in your house and they started to shrivel away to nothing, would you say, well, that's okay. If you want to do that, that's fine. Or would you do an intervention? Think about it. Would you allow that to happen in your home? And yet the word of God says that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. May we never allow our kids to shrivel up spiritually in our own home and allow them to do what they desire to do at their own peril. There is a day when they will make their own choices. But as long as they're under your roof, whatever happens in that home is your responsibility. And I want to challenge you, friends. Your primary responsibility to your kids is not to be their friend, but to be their parent. And if you honor God in that area, you're going to have some battles. There is no doubt about it. But you will come out with joy in the end. It all starts in our home. The scripture says that if we don't know how to handle our own home, how can we handle the church of God? So I want to encourage you, friends, put God first in your home. Be willing to put your foot down and to hold the line. And if your child runs away, as one parent said, I'll help you pack your bags. Where would you like to go? God doesn't handle us by saying, oh, does that make you feel sad? Oh, well, let me just change that a bit for you. There are times in our lives, I will say in my life, where God has put his foot down with me, but it was because he loved me. But when we learn the lesson, then there comes great joy. For the scripture says that every child that is disciplined is loved. We're living in a world that's going to pull your attention, your kids' attention, and media is doing it at an incredible rate. You just go through your Facebook feed. You go through all kinds of different media, and the amount of things that can bombard you within minutes
can both be good and very bad. I encourage you to set safeguards. Set safeguards for yourselves. And it's good to have like internet safeguards and those kinds of things, but I want to tell you that's not the most important. You need to have safeguards built into your children and into your own heart so that even if you had access, your heart would not go in that direction. Because the truth is, if someone wants to do something or see something, they'll find a way. It's better that you build the safeguard in the heart. Teach your children to fear the Lord. And then, whether they have their internet being watched or any of those kinds of things, the conviction of the Holy Spirit will be upon them. And they will know it's not just wrong because mom or dad says it's wrong, but because it's what God says. God's word is the defining factor. This world is going to get worse and worse. I want you to listen to these words. As I read these and thought about them, I think about the world in which we live. Verse 20 of chapter 8, people who contradict God's word are completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another, weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at the earth, but wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. There is no hope for those who reject the truth. In a season of great hope, people can still be in darkness. For it's not the lights that bring the hope. It's not the decorations, but it's Jesus in our heart. Only he can take away our shame and forgive us of our sin. My prayer during this Christmas season is that all of us will receive what Jesus came to give and that we will live that out in our lives and in our homes. like to ask all of us to close ourselves in with the Lord. Maybe you've come from a place of brokenness. You're a great candidate for the doctor, the great physician, to come in and to minister healing. Maybe there are areas in your life where Your heart cries out to God today and you say, God, I want you to be the source of all my answers. I choose not to look to this world to try to feed my curiosity about various things, but I choose to honor you. you're in this room today if there's brokenness in your spirit if your heart cries out to God and you say heavenly father 
forgive me of all my sin. Forgive me for any times that I have looked elsewhere for the answers. Maybe even getting involved in dabbling in the demonic realm. Father, would you forgive me? The Bible says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's willing to change your heart today. If you're in this room this morning and you desire to ask the Lord to change your heart, to wash you clean and to fill you with his Holy Spirit, to write your name in the book of life, to make you a brand new person. He's willing to do that this morning. He's willing to adopt you into his family. And so the call is to you this morning. The Spirit of God says, today is the day of salvation. There's no guarantee about tomorrow. Our life is like a vapor. It's here today, and it's gone tomorrow. No matter how many years we live on this earth. Are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you right with God today? You can be. your heart is crying out to God this morning and you want to surrender your whole life to him, I invite you right where you are to simply stand to your feet. I would love to pray with you. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will come in, will change you, transform you, and make you a brand new person. That is your invitation. Is there anyone this morning they would like to take that step and invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life. If so, I welcome you to stand right where you are. I would be delighted to pray with you, asking the Lord to transform your life as he has transformed mine. Build a nice, big, brand new, fancy house. 